0: Hello, Utah skiers and riders, and welcome to another episode of Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast presented by High West. And a big thanks to Utah's own Pixie and the Partygrass Boys for kicking it off with that wonderful musical opening. Well, the season is now here with snow blanketing the Wasatch, and what an amazing November we've had here in Utah. After the quick end to last season, it's nice to see the lifts getting ready to spin again. With each episode, Last Chair will take you inside the ski scene in Utah to meet the personalities that are a part of the fabric of the sport. And a special thanks to Utah's High West Distillery for joining us as a presenting sponsor. Today we have a fascinating guest who is a lifelong skier and one of our sport's great entrepreneurs. Bryn Carey grew up on the slopes of Maine's Sugarloaf Resort in a full-on skiing family. As a teen, when dad had a job opportunity in Utah, the family looked to young Bryn for a decision, and he was all in to move to Utah. Sixteen years ago, his company, Ski Butlers, offered a new way for skiers to get rental gear. His personalized delivery service became a hit, and it's since grown across America and literally around the world. We'll hear Bryn tell stories of those crazy days starting the business and how it has really revolutionized ski vacations. Most importantly, we'll get insights from a passionate Utah skier who has chosen to base his company, Ski Butlers, here, as well as raising a family on the greatest snow on Earth. Let's head down to Ski Butlers Park City headquarters for an enjoyable chat with Bryn Carey. Today, we're coming to you from the world headquarters of Ski Butlers uh, here in the Prospector area of Park City. My guest today, Bryn Carey. And Bryn, thanks for joining us on Last Chair.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me, Tom. Very excited to chat today.
0: You know, it's it's a little bit nostalgic for me coming into this building. I don't think I've been here since uh, the early 2000s. This was the restaurant Nacho Mama's years ago, wasn't it?
1: It was Nacho Mama's. and, and the, fu- the funny story is, I, I used to work here, so I, I've spent a lot of time in this building.
0: Yeah, it, it, it was a, by far our favorite restaurant in Park City, and we spent a lot of time in these walls. It's a lot different today. I went into the main restaurant part, and it's full of skis now.
1: We, we, have, we have tons of skis, but I don't know if you noticed, we did keep some of the uh, famous murals from Nacho Mama's up on the wall, so...
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it was great to great to see that. And how have you and the family been getting along in these kind of crazy times this summer?
1: Well, you know, the the good thing is we have three children under the age of five, and they are they keep us busy and they're happy. They're happy to stay away from the sicky germs and spend time with their family. So we've been very much entertained and having having a blast spending so much time with our kiddos. Do do all the kids ski? They all you know they they all ski. They love skiing. I was I was taking my. Uh, my five-year-old and three-year-old to school this morning, and the snow guns are blasting, and they are asking if we go skiing tomorrow. I said, hey, you know, it's, it's still October. We're, we're, we're so close to skiing, but uh, be, be a little patient, but I love their enthusiasm.
0: It is exciting right now. We're recording this in the last days of October, and we hit, at least at my house, we hit zero Fahrenheit uh, the other day. The snow guns have been going uh, at Park City Mountain, and Honestly, I, 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 am really getting excited.
1: Oh, the, the first time they turn the snow guns on every season is one of, you know, it's one of the best days, one of the best days of the year combined with snow over the weekend and, uh, cold, cold temps this week. So it it feels
0: good. Yeah, it does. I mean, it is cold. You all of a sudden guys say, Oh gee, did I, did I drain the hoses? You know, how's the pressure washer doing? You know, all of that scrambling when it does get cold, but that's what we love.
1: And we're, you know what? Us locals we're never we we always forget to put that stuff away.
0: So this was a this was a good wake up call. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm not alone in that. So let, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your background. And you grew up in Maine. And for those listening to the podcast who have not been to Sugarloaf, Maine, it really is quite an amazing place. But what was it like growing up there as a young boy?
1: Well, I, I look back at my time in Maine, and I. I thank my parents all the time for, for growing up there. Um, Sugarloaf Maine is in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's about 30 miles from Canada. Um, it's four hours from Boston. It's two hours from the nearest city, Portland, two and a half hours. And so you're, you're really, you're really isolated, but you learn to grow up, uh, hiking in the woods, skiing in the mountains, playing on the rivers, uh, playing on lakes and just really enjoying the outdoors. And, uh, it, there, it is such a special place to, to go back to today just to, to kind of get away from everything. And, and, um, and that's something I'll, I'll always remember about Maine.
0: Did You you were the youngest, I think, of, uh, of three children. How, do you remember that initiation and getting on snow? I'm sure by that time it was a family ritual.
1: Well, yeah, and, and we skied at Sugarloaf Mountain and it's just, it's just what we did. I, you know, I didn't know anything else and, uh, the season would start and we would ski with the family. Uh, sure had amazing children's program. So on the weekends we'd have a bunch of little rug rats skiing around, hitting jumps, going in the trees. Um, after class we'd ski with the family. My, my older brother and sister were, were ski racing. So I was always looking up to them and, and trying to keep up with their, their friends. And, uh, it was just a really special time.
0: Your your mom and dad were influential. I mean, you were a complete skiing family.
1: We are a complete skiing family. Uh, my dad worked at Sugarloaf. Um, my mother was a nurse, but she she would come up and ski every weekend with us. And so, I I didn't even realize that there were people in this world that didn't grow up and ski every day. I mean, I just thought that that was that was the part of that was that was the part of life in the winter. Everyone gets snow and everyone goes skiing. Um, and enjoys the, enjoys the outdoors, and so that's that's something I've always I've always done, and that's what, what I do to this day.
0: You know, I always looked up to your father, your father Chip Carey, who at the the time was the PR guy at at Sugarloaf, and I remember this is many many years ago, probably back in the early nineties. We did a U.S. Championship Alpine event at Sugarloaf, and. Uh, your father, Chip, called me up and said, Tom, we should do a, a, a big press conference down in Portland. And I said, Chip, nobody's going to come to that. And he said, no, 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 they'll come to that. And so I flew out there. It was the first time I'd ever been to Maine, still hadn't been up to Sugarloaf. We did a press conference by the airport, and we had like 25 or 30 media. And I, 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 I talked to your dad, and I said, man, you, you, you really you know what you're doing here. You know your market. And you know, from that point forward, you know, I watched him, and he was really one of the sport's great promoters.
1: Yeah, and I think it was just something he, he really enjoyed. And I, I think it came from skiing, but it also came from Sugarloaf. Um, and, and Sugarloaf is unique. And I think my dad had a good product to sell. Is when, once people, It's hard to get to Sugarloaf, so, so getting people there is tough. But, but once you're there, it's a, it's a special place and you, and you have this feeling and you always want to go back. And I think my dad was really good at, at selling that, that feeling.
0: You were there until you were, I think, in your early teens, was it?
1: Yeah, we moved out yeah, through age 15, yeah, in high school.
0: Before we move on to Utah, which has become your home, what were some of the values or lessons that you took away from those years growing up in Maine?
1: Well, I, I think um, Mainers are, are down-to-earth people. They, um, they don't need a lot of stuff. They enjoy it. They enjoy company. They enjoy family. They enjoy being outdoors, uh, very respectful to each other, um, very kind, um, and, and always the biggest fan of Maine. If so you ever meet a Mainer, they say, you know, they'll talk about, I'm talking about Maine today sitting here in Utah, right? And so I think a lot of those things I carried to Utah, but carried, you know, throughout other things I've done in my life as well. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope to pass that along to my kids. And it's why, it's why we like to go back to Maine for all those feelings and, you know, to kind of center yourself.
0: So, so you're 15 years old, and dad comes to you and says, to, the, says to, well, to you, you were the youngest, and I think the others were out of high school or close to it at that point. Uh, what do you think about moving to Utah? I mean, what struck you at that point?
1: Well, the, the, life's about timing, right? Um, and we had just been out to snowbird that spring. And we arrived here in Salt Lake, and it, I think it was like 75 degrees. And we came up to Snowbird, and it was like 50 degrees. And so the, the skiing at Snowbird was, uh, it wasn't great, but it was beautiful. And you could just tell how much potential this place had. And so we visited, we visited Snowbird, went back to Maine, and I had no idea that we might have an opportunity to move out to Utah. But uh, my dad had, had an opportunity uh, when American Skiing Company purchased Park West here in Park City and turned into the Canyons Resort. Uh, they asked my dad, said, hey, would you be interested in moving out to Utah to become the marketing director? Um, or would you be interested in going to, I think it was Mount Snow in uh, Vermont to go there? Or you can stay, stay in Maine at Sugarloaf. And at that time, my brother and sister were out of the house. They were, my brother was racing from the U.S. ski team and my, my sister was in college. Um, and so it was really just me my dad said, hey, you know, you're, you're in high school. Um, we've lived here for 30 years. Would you like to move to Utah? And it was just one, it was just one of those moments where I said, oh my God, we can move to Utah with some of the world's greatest snow, with some of the best mountains and my family, our family, a saying in our family is camp carry every day an adventure. And we have t-shirts that say that as well. I was like, this is just, this is just another adventure. And so really not thinking about it for probably more than a day, we're like, yeah, let's do this. Let's go to Utah. Let's, let's, let's do this new adventure. And again, skiing was the center of this all. So although it was a different place, the values and everything were very similar.
0: Did, as, as you thought about that decision, did you hearken back to that spring day you skied snowbird in the warm temperatures?
1: I, I, it, was, it was part that, and it was also part, Maine is one of the coldest places in the world to ski. And there are so many cold, dark days that really make you tough. And so it was the combination of that and the opportunity to come out to this to the the beautiful blue sky the dry the dry climate here um the greatest snow on earth and huge mountains and so yeah so it it was a it was a combo
0: can can you remember much about that time you did ski at snowbird before you moved out and some of the runs that you took or any experience you had there
1: well i can remember the tram and to this day one of my favorite runs is high baldy um And, but, but, you know, you, you kind of, you, rise up in the tram and you, it overlooks all these bowls and you can pick your lines and you can see people skiing over here or over there. And it's just a totally different experience than the East coast where for the most part you're on a trail or, you know, very tight wood skiing. And so I just remember that, that openness and that fall line skiing, right? Because you get off the lift and you can hit the fall line. I think it's the best thing you can do. You can just go down the steepest part of the run that has the most vertical, And just kind of float down, and I I I remember that 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 that's like what I re remembered Utah as.
0: And it it is still. I mean, imagine you get over to Snowbird a lot, and you have those same memories today.
1: I have the same memories today. It's I I get I go there and I have a a very calm, peaceful feeling, and just happiness, and go, wow, this is this is why I do what I do. This is why I live in Utah. and i just i just love it
0: so when you moved out here dad was working at canyons and this was actually in the lead up to the 2002 olympics uh how did how did that experience begin to transform you living here in these mountains in the wasatch
1: well I, you know i think the one thing i think about utah and park city is opportunity and coming from the backwoods of maine we there there wasn't a lot going on outside of sherlock and you, and you come out to utah and it, all of a sudden life was fast we had the Olympics in a few years. We had Canyons Resort was being built out from, from a very small resort. It had all this potential. Um, Salt Lake was getting busier. And I think it was just like, wow, th- this, is an ex- this is an exciting time. We're going to be hosting the Olympics in my new hometown. Um, what, you know, what else could you ask for? In, in a community of Park City um, when I moved here, everyone's like, you won't believe how much it's changed. And now I say the same thing today, but, um, you know, just a lot of opportunity, fast paced excitement, sport. Um, it's just so
0: great. You know, going back to that time, were you, were you connected at all with Bodie Miller? I know you're a little bit different in age, but he was coming up at the time going to Carabasset Valley Academy and Sugarloaf. And then this was the Olympics where he started to make his mark.
1: Yeah. And, um, yeah, there's, there's, and we didn't talk about that in Maine as uh, Carabasa Valley Academy producing some of the the greatest skiers in the you know the the history of the sport. Um, and I and I only went to CVA one year, but with my brother and sister being at Carabasa Valley Academy, I was I was a part of that culture um, during my and speaking to Bodie specifically during my uh, freshman year at CVA, Bodie had just made the ski team, um, but he pretty much trained at Sugarloaf that year, and so. Um, yeah, I know, I know Bodie very well, and when he came out here, and they had the Americas opening for um, the World Cup GS and slalom, when he used to be here in Park City, as you know, um, you know, I think one of Bodie's first races, I think he got second or fourth in the GS, and like everyone's like, "Wow, where did this kid come from?"
0: Um, it, it, you know, th- th- we're diverging a little bit, yeah. but that was quite an amazing <laughs> year for Bodie leading up to the Olympics. Uh, I'd been involved in a few uh, projects to kind of go back in time, that win that he had in Schladming uh, uh, just a few weeks before the Olympics, and then he came here and he won two silver medals. Were, were you there for either of his silver medals?
1: I was not, and it was, a, the Olympics fell right when I was um, racing, ski racing in college. And this was this big thing on my mind. Do I take the whole year off? What do I do? And I was going to the university of New Hampshire. Um, and so I came out for a week in between. And so I saw a lot of the speed events at snow basin, but unfortunately I didn't see the, uh, the, the, GS over here. And, uh, and I think I missed the day of the combined where back then it was two slalom runs and he Made a big mistake in the downhill, I believe, and and came back in the slums and had one of the best slalom runs he's ever had, and I think got silver then.
0: Crazy recovery in that combined downhill up on one ski, just totally, totally out of it on the outside edge, and I don't know how he recovered from that, but that was typical Bodie at that time.
1: That that was Bodie, and that's what. You know, it made ski racing so exciting, right? Because what, what is Bodie Miller gonna to do today? It's kind of like Tiger Woods. What is Tiger Woods gonna to do today? And they were so special, um, such gifted. he's such a gifted athlete um, and always, always pushed it and always took risks and always took chances. And, and to me, that was inspiring.
0: We're gonna talk more about Ski Butlers, the company that you have innovated. And before we do though, I, I want to learn a little bit more about your background in ski racing and some of the lessons you learned as a racer that you've been able to carry over into business.
1: Well, I, you know, I think the number one thing with ski racing is, um, was being competitive, um, but also being respectful. And, I, and when we go into ski butlers, is one of the things that, that really I was I took my racing mentality of being competitive and the team spirit of racing um, in college and being the team captain. And I really took those things in the leadership and applied that to ski ballers and other things I've done in my life. Um, and, you know, ski racing is a, it's an individual sport, but it takes um, ski technicians. It takes coaches. It takes your athletes training every day your, your, or your um, peers training every day to push you to a new level. All these different things that, you um, that, that really go to your, your family life, your, your personal life, your, um, your school life, your business life. Um, and in addition to that, just the, the skills of being able to ski and enjoy the outdoors and be outside. I mean, it's, it's a foundation of my life, like ski racing. I do not ski race today, but all those things I still do today. And it's it's, I am so grateful that I did ski race.
0: You, you were captain of your team at the University of New Hampshire. Uh, look back and reflect a little bit on what did you learn about leadership and leading that team as the captain?
1: Being a leader, like first and foremost, you need to think big. You need to be positive. Um, and you need to lead by example. And you need to be consistent. And with ski racing, you almost spend more time off your skis than you do on your skis. And so whether that's doing squats or sprinting or stretching or what or, or watching film. And if you can do those things consistently day in and day out when, you know, why, why does this matter today? August 15th, the ski season starts maybe in November. Well, why is this important to today? And if you can do that consistently every day, you, you gain an edge. And if you can lead a team to do everything consistently, every day to a high standard, it's really amazing what you can do and what you can accomplish. And additionally, and if you do it as a team, everyone thinks of skiing is an individual sport. It's just, you know, it's, it could be for selfish people. It's just for me. And, that, and it's not it. Because you, you are always pushing each other. And I think you see that with the ski team in Vancouver in 2010 um, and so forth. When, when the team is always pushing each other, it's amazing the results that you can have. And so that, that is something... That I, that I that I've taken away from ski racing and, and leadership.
0: I, th- I, I think back to that. You, so you're leading a bunch of college kids, yeah, you know, and trying to corral them into this <laughs> type of precision. But they did at least come up through the sport. They wouldn't have gotten there if they didn't have some sense of that precision.
1: Yeah, and and college, you know, call it, it takes you. You have to be a driven person to be to compete in college, um, not only to make the team, but then to to do it while you're in college because there's there's tons of distractions. Um, but, yeah, we, we, our, our teammates were very skilled, uh, and they were very passionate. You know, they're very passionate for skiing and what they did and, and caring for each other, and so we'd always see that.
0: So let's fast forward now to ski butlers. And after you finished college, you're still living here in Park City. What was your pathway that eventually led you to ski butlers?
1: Well, it— <laughs> It's, it's a, it's a few things. Um, the, the, the biggest thing is my dad, uh, my dad, although he worked for a ski resorts and worked for other people, he was very much an entrepreneur. Um, in Maine, he put on, uh, running races on the side. He had the, he had the, uh, Canadian club celebrity cup, uh, ski event that he, he kind of did on the side. He, he had a silk screen printing business randomly in our basement, um, the list goes on and on. I was, from a young age. My dad was always like, you know, be your own boss. He goes, there's, you know, if there's one re not, not regret, but if there's something I wish I could have been more of my own boss, he's like, just be your, be your own boss and do things. And I, the, the very specifically I was in seventh grade and they had this thing called Kingfield days and I, I got a root beer kit for Christmas or something. I started making root beer and I was like, you know, why don't I make root beer? and I'll go sell it at, at the Kingfield Days and so I made BC cola and BC root beer and made like 100 bottles and I went and sold it at the Kingfield Days and it was my first real entrepreneur thing and I re- I remember a few other people were going to join me in this and no one else did it just became myself and it was just a learning lesson like if you hold yourself accountable and you do something you put yourself uh, you know above other people that might not be able to hold themselves accountable. The root beer was horrible, it was flat, um, but people still bought it. But <laughs> Well, you're your <laughs> brand, they bought it because of you. They brought, yeah, they're, they're supporting, supporting a small business, I guess. Um, and that kind of, that in, in high school, I, I also made t-shirts. Um, and then, when I when my senior year in high school, in between college, I worked for this company called Park City Seal Co. And it was a tough job. Uh, seal coating asphalt driveways and parking lots. Um, It was hot. It was dirty. And I did this for a summer and it was a really good learning lesson. And I I got done doing this. I said, you know what, I am never, ever going to seal coat again. Well, of course, about eight months later, I bought the company uh, with a friend and I seal coated for the next eight years. Um, But it was this it was this competitive spirit. It was this risk. This, one of my favorite quotes is the greatest risk in life is to risk nothing. Um, and I had that in ski racing. I talked about Bodie taking risks. I love that. And, and, and so I just said, you know, what, let's just let's I'm going to purchase this company. And the, the backstory is that he, he sold it and asked me to take it over. But um, and it really became a training ground for me. Right. It became this practice field on how to run a business because I didn't know anything. I don't, you know who knows how to run a business? You know, there's no class for it in high school or anything.
0: You need to look at a YouTube video. Uh,
1: yeah, I don't know if we had. You know, I don't know if we had YouTube videos back then. Um, and so we just did it. It was just practical and learned, and just tried to have fun. And I was getting, I was, I was fast forward a few years, and I was about to graduate from the University of New Hampshire. And I knew, I knew one thing. I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to, I wanted the challenge to make something great, but I didn't know what to do. And I interviewed for a few jobs. I said, no, I'm not going to work for someone. I was like, I love my, my business Park City Sealcoat, but I'm not that passionate about the asphalt industry. Um, I'm passionate about skiing. And, and so wh- what do I do? I started asking those questions. Uh, and I spoke to my dad again, huge influence on my life. And he's like, you know, There's been some people in Vail that have been delivering skis on the side, uh, for like 20 years. Um, one of the biggest pains of a ski vacation is renting skis. And of course I'd never rented skis, so I didn't, I didn't really know this. Um, and you can make money doing it and it's one of your passions. And so I just, I, I, I took about. I tell this story all the time. I literally thought about this for about five minutes. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna start this company. And and I I, I was I was leaving ski racing and, I, and I, I, I didn't feel like my ski racing career was complete. Like I thought I could have been better and could have done more. And starting this company just replaced that competitive edge, like, no, I'm gonna take all this competitive risk-taking spirit that I have in ski racing and I'm gonna apply it to Ski ballers, And Ski ballers was the perfect, perfect combo of being in the ski industry, something I've always been a part of skiing, something I was very passionate about with all this pent up competitive energy and it was just like, it was just the perfect timing. And so we just started to, to do it. And it's, it's almost, it was almost an internet company, right? Because we didn't have shops and so people found us online. I just got through college. I graduated in 2004, right? I didn't own my own computer. I didn't have a cell phone. Um, and so it it was, it was just so funny. Like, let's just go do this. Let's start this internet company that at the end of the day, we do provide a service and let's just try to figure it out. So, so that, that was the start of ski ballers.
0: How did you come up with the name? I mean, to, to me, it's the ideal name, but I'm sure there's a story behind it and maybe a cocktail napkin or something.
1: (laughs) Well, as in anything with ski butlers, we haven't created anything. We, 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 we take ideas and we read books and we just try to make it the ski butler way. And, and the same with the name. I came up with the name door-to-door ski rentals. About a month into it, I learned that there was a door-to-door ski rentals in Colorado. So I changed it to BC's door-to-door ski rentals. And it was a bad logo and it was a bad name. And we did that the first year. We were BC's door-to-door, Bryn Carey's door-to-door ski rentals. And I got through the year. was like, dad, I, I need a better name. Like this is, and, and we decided we wanted to expand and there might be some conflict of interest with the other door door. And so we started asking people and right off the bat, one of the first people I asked said ski ballers, And I was like, no, you know, that that's not it. And so we, we did this for about a month. And I looked at all these different names and, you know, ski runners, ski gophers, ski, I don't know, all these things. And and, I, and one day I was like, I just have to name this company. This is taking too long. I was like, Ski butlers. Who told me that? That was the perfect name. And so we came full back full circle. It was available at SkiButlers.com, which is huge. It didn't have a trademark. It was exactly what we were gonna do. It was high end. Um, and again, it was just the perfect it was the perfect name.
0: What was the market like at that point? Where, did you have much for competitors with that same concept?
1: It was It was basically you had The normal traditional ski shop and ski rentals, and they didn't do delivery and a few would do it on the side, but it wasn't their one thing. It wasn't their main thing. So they weren't that, uh, there was a a company called black tie, um, and door to door that was also, and skis on the run here locally. And we were all, we were all starting up, um, around the same time and one thing that happened the first year we were so successful here in Park City, like people just loved the service that I was like, "Whoa, we need to go to Vale, we need to go to Breck, we got to go to these other big boys." Um, and so there was a little bit of the wild, wild west, like trying to expand really quickly. How do we, how do we get into all these markets to ultimately get a network of customers? Because as you know, a lot of a lot of people love love their Park City, love their Deer Valley but they might also want to go check out Aspen one year. They might also want to go Jackson hole one year. Um, they might want to go to snowbird over park city. So we wanted to make sure that we were, we were the leaders in this kind of wild wild race to get in all the different spots. Um, and at and, and at the same time I thought we would have a lot more competition from the ski resorts and other folks. And, and they, they really stuck with their model and we went with our model. Um, and to, and to this day, it's kind of the, a lot of the same players that are, that, that, are, that are still here. You know, a lot of small mom and pops haven't started to do delivery.
0: What were the things that helped your concept to really click with skiers when you started?
1: Well, and, and when we started, it's interesting because people would call up. And because delivery was so new, we'd get the same questions. Okay, you deliver, what if my boots don't fit? We bring extra boots. What if I break a pole or it snows, I want to change the skis midway through, the, through my rental. We offer support. What happens when uh, we're done with the gear? We pick it up. And so there's this, really, there's this really big like educational period where people were curious, would this actually work? Now, what really made us grow is the people that tried us, they absolutely loved it. I mean, we, I used to do tons of deliveries back in the, the start of Ski Ballers. And I, would, I, would, I could not believe how happy our customers were because a ski vacation, as we all know, can be complicated. Um, it can be frustrating. Um, and one of the biggest things was always standing in line at a crowded rental shop, sweating in all your gear with your kids running everywhere, knowing that ski lessons start in 15 minutes. Like who would ever want to start a ski vacation like that? And we changed all that. Like we we just solved that because we would not only could you get your gear in the morning. We delivered from when we first started 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. We now our last delivery is at 8. Um, but you could get the gear delivered to your place the night before. You could be drinking some wine. Your kids would be running around. You could hop out of the hot tub, come over and get fit. Um, and it was just so relaxing. And then you were ready to go the next morning so that that whole stress and so when people used us it was that classic have you used ski butlers and they tell their friends that have you used ski butlers the the reviews would all be you got to use ski butlers you got to get your skis delivered and so that's what that just kind of was the rocket fuel that got this thing going is it just solved that need of avoiding a crowded rental shop
0: now, I'm sure like every business, you have evolved, but has it been more small nuances or any big changes in your product?
1: Oh, it is it is so similar to how we started it. I love one of our core values is simple, and we try to keep this as simple as possible, offering the best service. Now, early on we offered a lot of brands. Now we only use Rosinal. They're based here in Park City, the North American operations. Um, they're based in Park City. We have an amazing relationship, but what, what I saw, we, would go into do a delivery in the early days and I'd give someone a vocal and I'd give someone, um, an Elon, I get someone Rosie, and it opened up this can of worms. And what we found is that our customer really wants a top five brand. Rossi is always top five. Maybe you can call them number one, one year. Maybe they're fourth, the next, whatever, but they're, they're, they're worldwide brand name. So they want a, a brand name. They want the equipment properly tuned. They don't want the top sheets to look like they'd been rented a million times that year. And they want, they, they, in general, people want us to recommend the size. You know, if this is my skiing ability. This is what I'd like to ski. Um, and so we just simplified it down. And by doing that with Rosinal, we have Rossin across the board at every location. So it's kind of like Starbucks. You know exactly what you're going to get at Starbucks in Breckenridge, the same Starbucks here in Park City. And it's the same as Ski Butler's. And we store the, 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 the renters info so that you can say, Hey, I want the same stuff I had last time. Um, so that's probably the one of the biggest changes is going from a a big variety to really simplifying it down to have new, nice quality gear. And it's been a, a big, a big, big improvement. Um, and then of course there, there's the technology enhancements on internally at ski butlers that make it easier for us to deliver a better product. And right now we're launching a whole new website and whole new backend to how we actually run um, our company and do deliveries on tablets, which we think will just kind of bring our service from you a know, paper product and, and make it more mild of your family but also make it a smoother transaction with the customer. So we definitely have those incremental, but the service, the service is very similar to how it was in 2004 when I started the company.
0: You know, I love the concept of simplifying the brand structure and I think, whether it's skis or widgets, whatever you're going out to look for, as soon as you throw out a lot of different brands, it just makes the decision a lot more confusing. But given that you're, you're just with Rossignol right now, do you find that your customers are really looking within the Rossi line to kind of think about, what do I really want to ski on this trip?
1: And a lot of times, um, we do get someone says, hey, I want this specific ski. But for the most part, someone... Um, we'll say I want this package and I want you to recommend the best pa- the best ski for when I'm going to be there um, and so we, we try to be experts in that to, to just I mean it can be overwhelming what you know I'm, I'm a biker and I, I, I need a new bike and I almost don't know where to go or what to do. I want someone to to kind of help me feel good about that decision and that's what really what we try to do. We try to help the customer feel good about what ski they're going to get. that They're going to have the best experience uh, on the hill.
0: So over time, you've dramatically expanded from your little start here in Park City around 2004, and I think if I'm not mistaken, you're in six states and four countries right now. Can you talk a little bit about that expansion and how you grew the organization?
1: Yeah, and so when back in so we in 2004, we did Park City, Deer Valley zone, and again we're so we're so successful, and everyone's like, you got to go to other locations, and. I was like, okay, well, how do, how do we expand? How do you do that? How do you do it? So I had this grand plan. We're going to go to Breckenridge. We're going to go to Vail. We're going to go to Tahoe. Uh, we're going to go to Aspen like all in one year. Did you do that? No, no. thank, Thank goodness. We didn't do that. Um, because I learned that that was not possible. And so we, I finally said, okay, we need to be in Vail, so I expand to Vail. But I also said, hey, I, you know, I don't, other people ask me, like, you know, Bryn, could I open a ski shop? And I was like, ah, oh, that's a good way to expand. They they could raise their own money and, and make it happen, and we could expand quickly. And so I started franchising. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the main growth back back in the early years was let's my my vision was let's get in the top ten Western ski resorts that people fly into that are high end. This would be a great service for. Um, and we did that through me owning some and then franchising some over the course of time. I've actually bought back a lot of the franchises. People have decided to go do something else or, or, or this and that. Um, we do, we still have, uh, let's see four franchises here uh, in North America. So it's still part of how we operate. Um, but that's how we expanded quickly. And then we're also in France and Italy. Um, and we don't know, culture in Italy we don't know the labor laws we don't know how everything's worked. and so we basically have partnered with companies over there it's like flying Delta and getting on an Air France flight um, and so we partnered to do to fulfill our service over there that already do delivery um, and it seems to work out really well
0: has that given you a few really sweet trips over to the uh, <laughs> Alps
1: we had a we had a it, it has it's a good excuse to go to Europe and now I I um, I, I love skiing in Europe and the, the opera scene and the, j- just the different culture over there. Um, we were supposed to go as a team uh, in March of last year to go to Italy, um, do some business, see the World Cup finals, and then drive over to France. And Of, of course, many, many plans changed of March of this year, so didn't we didn't think- go.
0: <laughs> they really did. Let's talk about COVID and the impact. And I was, I was thinking about this and there's probably some pros and cons to it. You certainly had to shut down like everyone else in mid-March last year. But as you look ahead to this season, uh, does this play into your strengths a little bit?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think as a company and internally, we we are good at planning. Um, but now we have to plan all the time because everything is always changing. And so I've got a really good team that is ready for a bunch of different scenarios. But in terms of ski butlers in this winter, or actually in terms of the the ski industry, I think it's probably important to talk about is skiing is an outdoor sport with a lot of space. And so we're very fortunate that we're not in a, uh, we're we're not the NBA perhaps, and we're we're inside a tight building in the winter, right? And so the skiing, people are going to come and ski. Um, there are some pinch points, of course, with restaurants and uh, you know ski lodges and 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 restrooms and whatnot. I think the ski resorts are going to make that safe, but um, people are going to come and ski. And so at Ski Butlers, we're going okay. Well, how many people are going to come and ski? And but the, the the one opportunity that we have and we're fortunate for is that we deliver. And you know you we get our groceries delivered all the time now. We have our all of our uh, new ski gears getting delivered. We, you know, we we, 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 don't go into as many stores. And so I think there, there is an opportunity here for ski ballers that customers are going to want the safety of delivery, and not going into a, a small crowded rental shop to get their skis. And so, um, we, we are excited to offer visitors to park city and, and other places, the opportunity to, to get their ski rentals in a safer way.
0: You know, we're on the eve of the ski season right now, and I know that skiers all over the country they're starting to think about their their ski trips. Season pass sales are up this year. Uh, you've just given a you know a nice little yeah, it's it's going to happen this winter. So for all of those people planning their trips to Utah, you're pretty bullish on this being a good experience.
1: I yeah, and, I, I, and the good thing about these ski communities, and we're here in Park City right now, is that these businesses are so respectful and passionate about trying, you know, of wearing masks, of, of keeping places safe. So that we're, we're so respectful and planning that when people come here, it's going to be a safe and enjoyable experience. And I think that's like most important. And then the ski resorts are also doing, you know, a great job to to lay out sometimes with reservations or limiting capacity or, or whatnot to really make it safe. And so, um, and people are excited. People, you know, skiing's a, skiing's an escape. You know, you, you get on that chairlift and you, you know, you, you brush the snow off your skis and your, your feet are dangling and the, the, the cold air is going into your face and you just get this, like this, this good feeling. And I think people want that feeling. People people want to escape to the mountains i mean in a normal year we want that feeling i do that that's why i go ski at lunch a lot of days i need to get a break from my my work day but to get a break from covid people are going to want that and i think these ski communities are going to be really respectful to provide a to provide a safe experience i think every everyone is trying to do that every small business i talk to here in utah is is very concerned about keeping people safe and so that that, that's it that's a good thing to have not just hey just come here we're going to be open we just want as many people as we can pack in this town that is that is not the mentality at all right now
0: you really make a good point about this community and ski communities in general i'll just relate it back to this summer as we traveled out and about and we didn't make big trips but little day trips and just drive trips i never felt as comfortable as I've felt right here in this ski community, with in terms of the respect that everybody had for for one another, and I I, I think that will carry over to ski season.
1: Yeah, and it, you know, as simple as as simple as you know, employees wearing masks when you walk into a store to go shopping, or or limiting capacity in a store and say, hey, you can come in in two minutes when these people leave, and that, that that's great. You go into the, the store to go shopping, you feel safe. It's awesome, and and that's what's going to happen here this winter. I think the towns are going to deliver the safest experience you can have during covid
0: as outdoor recreational enthusiasts we all do tend to be pretty good stewards of the space around us i know climate and the environment has been a passion of yours that has woven its way into ski butlers but it's part of your life
1: yeah it's (laughs) sometimes i wish i wasn't as passionate about climate change because i guess it keeps me up at night and um makes me work some extra hours but um yeah, ski ball. Our, our fifth core value is giving back to the local communities that have given us so much, and just just a huge passion of mine. I have to thank um, Jeremy Jones and Protect Our Winners early on um, to to introduce me to climate change. I got to thank. Um, I've been to three Al Gore's climate reality trainings. I went to the the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, with uh, then my, like, three-month-old daughter and my wife. Um, and, I, you know, I just learned that uh, climate change is here. And I quickly, I'm a very solutions-based person. And I was like, how can we make a difference and how can we help? And I think that's just just something that is part of Ski Ballers, is part of me personally, is part of my wife. I and, mean, you know, we're, we're always trying to, to, to give back to Mother Earth. And, and, you know what, maybe it started selfishly with skiing. Uh, Porter Fox, uh, wrote a great book called deep and I highly recommend it. It talks about the history of skiing with climate change intertwined. And that was like the point go, wow, it's already here. I didn't even realize it. Um, and you know what? We, we have to find solutions and do what we can. And, um, that's what I've, that's what I've been fighting for. And, um, and it's just so, I'm so, I'm so bad. I almost get kind of fired up sitting here talking about it. I just like, it's, 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 it's something that, that we can solve and we can do it without fighting and we can do it without, we can all do this and all have a part and every, and everything can be good. It can be a, it can be a big opportunity for, for the ski industry and for the world. So
0: people's interest in this lies at many different levels but for the average person who's coming out here to ski or ride in in Utah this winter what are some simple things that you can suggest to they can they can do on their own to help make a difference
1: yeah and well you know what's interesting is we here in Park City we've actually almost taken the opposite approach of how can we uh, and this is like the town of park city. How, how can we be leaders that people can come to park city and then take it home to them? And so we're not almost asking anyone to do anything different here. We want to provide the solution. So a good example is I think we have almost 15 electric buses now. And this was a, this all happened as a grassroots movement here in park city. And so when you come here, ride our electric buses, they're quiet. They got more space cause they're not for the engine. They're, um, they're smoother. And they're driving around town. I mean, it's so cool. And so what, what I say is come see the cool things that Park City is doing. We're going to be net zero by 2030, this entire town, all over electricity and everything uh, for renewables. How can you take that back to your town to make a difference? And I think that that would be the ask.
0: I love that example. And, I, and I'll use my own personal story. When I left my role at the ski team and I had at least a little bit more time to ski. I decided to not drive my car to the ski areas anymore for a number of reasons. One, you have to deal with parking, but it was the electric buses. When they started coming into town, I said, that is a really cool idea. So I just go and park at Kimball Junction. I get on the electric bus. It takes me right to Canyons, or I can take it and transfer and get to Deer Valley. It's, it, it really motivated me.
1: Yeah, and, and Utah's been doing a great job with, with trying to figure out how do we have less cars at the resort because, you know, parking's getting filled up, and how do we also make that environmental message as well? But, you know, if you're, if you're traveling here uh, and you fly into Salt Lake, there, are, you don't have to rent a car. There's a lot of options with the public transportation, and it's, it's, it's one of the easier places to, one of the easier ski towns to get around because they do such a good job offering it.
0: Yeah, buses up the Cottonwoods.
1: Buses up the Cottonwoods, buses around town here. Um, Yeah, it's great.
0: So as we kind of wind this down, let's talk a little bit more about Utah. Now, you're a Maine native. You had a great time growing (laughs) up at Sugarloaf, found your way out here. But you also made a decision that this is where your company is going to be, and this is where you're going to raise your family. What are some of the attributes that have really made this a home for you and for ski butlers?
1: Whew. There are so many great things about Utah. Um, first and foremost, why I'm here, the skiing, the greatest snow on earth, but you can, you can, you can wake up in the morning and you could say, where do I want to go skiing? And there's 10 resorts, world-class ski resorts that I can choose from. And with the the new passes where you can ski multiple resorts, it's, it's almost an option for anyone that is unbelievable. Um, the outdoors, not just skiing, you know, we have Southern Utah. Um, we have all the mighty five national parks. And so the shoulder seasons, what a great place to take your family, like to, 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 to go hiking, to go biking. Um, we have a lot of rivers and fishing. Um, and so, so the outdoors is just, is so key. And then I, you know, I, I love the passion, especially we're here in park city right now. I love the passion of Park City towards the Olympics, towards all the young children. You you go up to the Winter Sports Park and any visitor, you can come and do this. You can go down the bobsled. People are, kids are bobsledding. People are learning how to do ski jumping. Um, People are cross-country skiing. People are snowshoeing. People are backcountry skiing. The passion for all these young kids to take advantage of this and then all the tools and resources and that Olympic spirit I love that Olympic spirit. I, I, it's just, you just don't see that anywhere else. And I, I, I selfishly really hope we get the Olympics again one day. I think it'll um, continue those programs on and on. And so I, I think those are the, the three biggest things for me for Utah.
0: Skiing has been your life. You were introduced to it at a young age. Your family all participated in the sport. As you look back over your time on snow, what are the things that you've taken away that have really helped to shape you as a person?
1: Ooh, um, skiing, you, you don't always think of skiing as this, but it is one of the best family sports. And you asked me early on what, you know, my family at Sugarloaf. Well, it is still what connects my family and friends. And it is, it. you can ride the chairlift together. You can ski down runs together. You can meet for lunch together. You know, you, you, you. It's harder to do in golfing. It's harder to do in mountain biking. It's harder to do in these other sports. It is It is a family camaraderie sport, and I think I've taken that into my 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 personal life with with my family. We hang we hang out so much together and do so many activities, and we also ski together. and I, I think that's huge. I think, I think there's also the the respect for the outdoors and our environment, and um, taking taking care of these places that we really love I think that is super important
0: Brent it's been great to learn a little bit more about you and about ski butlers we're going to close it out now with a section I call fresh tracks a series of fun little simple questions no tricks no wrong answers here and we're going to start it out what's your personal favorite pair of skis for just a good all-mountain experience
1: it has to be the Rossignol Black Ops
0: the Black Ops
1: Black Ops here it's hard to say which one? Because um, for the powder days, you want the powder. You want the one that's one fifteen underfoot. For the groomer days, you want the one that's ninety eight underfoot. But the, the new Rosenthal Black Ops series is, oh man, it is. They're so good. And that's the thing with the technology with skis these days. Over the past ten years, it's unbelievable how good the skis have gotten.
0: I did ski on Black Ops last year. Did they come out with a new one for this year?
1: Yeah, they have the Black Ops Sender. Folks that love the S-Series, so like the Soul 7, the Sky 7, is now the Black Ops. And so it's it's just an improvement off of that.
0: Which graphics do you have?
1: Oh, I think there's like a, a, is it a panther or a cat? I mean, it's, yeah. kind, of, it's kind of wild. Cool. It's kind of wild on the front of the ski. My, my kids want me to ski the cat, the cat skis, they call it.
0: You know, I, I, I got to tell you, last year I ordered a pair of those, but I was a little bit reticent to the graphics. I thought it was a little bit too much. So I went with the women's ski, which is the same ski, just different graphics. It was a little subtler for me, and they didn't have them. So I went with the panther.
1: Yeah, and, and this year... Um, the the black ops series depending on because because last year they they pretty much had like one black ops and and this year it's it's men and women's and it's it's a multiple of options right they really expanded it this year um and all the graphics are way more tame
0: do i need more do i need new skis i would get new skis Thanks. or you could try them here that's a good (laughs) idea okay uh okay here's a good one for you you're from a skiing family who's the best skier
1: Oh, we, we got to give that to my dad.
0: You give it to your dad. That's my
1: dad. Cause, um, he taught us all. He taught us all how to ski. He, he flows, he flows and hits the fall line. Uh, so I gotta give it to my dad, but, um, and my sister skis very much like my dad and my, my brother, of course, on the U.S. ski team. So he is by far the fastest skier.
0: And Bodie Miller's coach
1: and Bodie Miller's coach. So he's, he's pretty good too.
0: And uh, parents are still living in Jackson
1: still living in Jackson. still skiing 100 plus days a year
0: sweet How many days do you get?
1: Oh? My my old goal was 75 and I try to do above 50 these days with yeah. kiddos it's and about half are with kiddos So
0: I got to 50 last year, but then could chunk. We all know that um, Strangers request from a ski butler's customer that you've actually been able to fulfill
1: can you fit me while I'm sitting here in the hot tub?
0: Yeah, no. Get <laughs> out. How could you do that?
1: Well, they kind of sit up on the hot tub and dry, their, dry their, uh, their leg off and try to get their foot in. It's not easy. We do not recommend it.
0: That is funny. <laughs> uh, COVID aside, favorite Utah restaurant?
1: Oh, man. Favorite Utah restaurant. Um, I'm partial to Silver Star Cafe. Here in Park City, as I, I lived at, a, at Silver Star for a little bit, and I know the owners, and it is just, it is, the pork Osobuco is so good.
0: Hidden gem, too. People don't know about that. People don't know about Tucked it. away. It's right at the base of the Silver Star lift. And, uh,
1: good, and you can ski down to it for lunch. So. Totally
0: can. Yeah. Um, favorite Utah craft beer?
1: Uh, proper Brewing Hospital IPA. That's a good one. Do they still make that though? I haven't seen it in the store the past like six weeks. And so I'm I'm worried, but that is my favorite. (laughs) I
0: I haven't actually, I've not, I've not gotten that one from the store before, but we got it down at the brewery, but that is a, that is a good one. Favorite ski run in Utah?
1: Well, if I'm skiing Alta, it's high wrestler. If I'm skiing snowboard, it's high Baldy. They're both very similar, long, steep, fall line, vertical skiing. Love them.
0: Last question. Groomer, groomers powder glades or moguls
1: powder powder and i'm a ski racer but you'll take powder any day i will take i i prefer to ski off the groomer
0: Bryn carey founder of ski butlers thank you for joining us today on last Chair.
1: thank you very much for having me appreciate it
0: what a fascinating look into ski butlers an innovative business that is truly changing the face of ski vacations i especially enjoyed hearing Bryn talk about his passion for skiing right here in utah Thank you to High West Distillery the presenting sponsor of Last Chair the Ski Utah podcast. And if you enjoyed the podcast, hit the like button and also subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We'll be back with plenty of guests throughout the season. Tell your friends about Last Chair presented by High West. To take us out, take a listen to Utah Zone Pixie and the Party Grass Boys with Ski and Party off their Made in Utah album. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Kelly for Last Chair, presented by High West. It's ski season. See you on the slopes.